What's up? What's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because all marketing is relationship marketing. In this episode, we're diving into one of the most effective ways to build those relationships and do it at scale, and that's through email. Yes, good old email is still alive and well, and if you've been listening to this show or any other marketing-themed podcast, this will sound familiar. The advice to build your email list, get your first 100, your first 1,000, your first 10,000 subscribers. The money's in the list, right? I hate that phrase. But what do you send someone after they join? That's what you'll learn in this episode. Simple frameworks for email marketing like a pro. Email marketing is very much alive, but it's a different beast to what it used to be a few years ago. Three, four years ago, there was the real digital courses boom. You join someone's list and you'll be getting like this 20 email sales campaign and they're really long emails. And then there's courses coming out teaching you how to write those emails. Buy my funnel course for $997. I would say that the market has kind of tired a little bit of that. And I think that's good news because If you are just an average person with a side hustle, you don't have to be a copywriter. Maybe you're a dog walker, you are a freelance accountant or bookkeeper or something. There is definitely a way that you can use email and you don't have to do all this complex, fancy stuff. That's Daniel Throssel from PersuasivePage.com, who actually is a copywriter, started as a side hustle, of course, and then he quit his electrical engineering job to do it full time. Daniel's been called the best marketer in Australia by a prominent client of his. And if you stick around in this one, you'll see why. We're going to cover how to come up with the best lead magnet for your target audience, how to get them to sign up for your email list in the first place, the three kinds of emails you'll send after they do, and the three-part email structure that can work in just about any niche. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary, are at sidehustlenation.com slash Daniel. I'll be back with a special bonus round with Daniel after the interview on how he got to start as a copywriter, starting from zero experience and working his way up to $200 an hour in his first year. But for now, here's our crash course in email marketing. Ready? Let's do it. What email is really good for, especially, is that you can dig up repeat business. Let's say you're working with clients and you've got 20 people you've worked with. And for most people, that's the end of it. You work with them and you're done. You don't ask them for anything. You don't hit them up for anything else. But if you have their emails, if you have a list, you have an asset suddenly in your business and you can build a relationship with those people. You can remind them what you do. You can hit them up a year later when they need what you do again. If you're an accountant, they're going to need tax services again. If they're a dog owner, they have a dog all the time. They have dog needs all the time. So... Email is fantastic for building a relationship with these people. And I think if you can write good email copy, you can drive sales whenever you want. So it's a really powerful tool in that regard. What are you seeing working in terms of lead magnets, in terms of that incentive to get somebody on your list in the first place? That is really actually quite dependent on who you are and what you do. One reason I say that is because me as a copywriter, I don't even offer an opt-in magnet. And the reason I do that is because I want the people on my list to be focusing on the product I sell, which is how I write emails. That is a very niche example. But the the point is that it has to depend on what your market is and what they want. And people will say like, oh, the idea of checklists and freebies is so not working in 2020. And I would disagree. If you can solve someone's problem, they want 
what you have. That's basically it. If you are a dog trainer or something, and people are coming to you with dogs who bite stuff and who rip up shoes and who don't listen to you and who saw you a carpet. And if you have on your website, you think of what does my market really want? What are the biggest problems that they have? And if you have a lean magnet, you come up with something that's like the top five ways to stop your dog soiling your carpet. And you put that on your website as an opt-in for your services. And everyone who needs your services is going to have that problem. So they want that. So it's not so much about what you offer in terms of what format it is. It could be audio. It could be a checklist. It could just be an email course that you do. That, that's working well for some people. But the idea is it has to focus around what does your ideal customer want and you give that to them in the shortest, easiest to consume and most actionable way possible. That's how you make a really good lead magnet. Okay, that makes sense versus just, hey, one size fits all ebook, got to do the trick. Like, okay, do a little market research or market analysis on what is the exact problem that people are coming to me for and how can I package that up in an easy to digest way or whatever way to digest makes the most sense to deliver that. I would say even that you want to prioritize how can I get someone to use this as fast as possible? Because the number one problem that a lead magnet will have, other than it doesn't connect with their problem, is that people get it and don't read it. You want them to sit down and be done with it in under 10 minutes from the moment they get it and be thinking, this person's awesome. So that's the goal. Whether it's a course, whether it's a video, whether it's a cheat sheet, or even in my case, whether it's just a certain email that I promise, that's what you want. Consumability is the number one for a lead magnet. Yeah, this is something that I've been wrestling with just in the past couple of months was shifting my primary lead magnet from this PDF ebook, for lack of a better term, that I've been running for years to just a private page on the website. Because it's like most of the people are on their phones. It's like, oh, now I get to pinch and zoom this PDF. I was like, it doesn't really make sense. But if they have a mobile responsive thing, I can just kind of scroll through and, and digest. Hopefully that has led to, and I don't have great metrics on whether or not that was a successful initiative, but the initial numbers that I do have look promising about that. So it's something that has definitely been top of mind. I really like this part about how can I get someone to use this, to take action, ideally in under 10 minutes, get them thinking, this guy, this girl, this company is awesome, right? If they see some results, Pat Flynn calls this like the quick win strategy. If I can get somebody to experience that initial win, now they're going to pay attention to me. Like now they're going to read what I send them next and after that and after that. So I like that idea. And that's something that I could probably do a better job of working into my own autoresponder sequences or my own welcome sequences. But what else? So you deliver this lead magnet or you deliver whatever it is that you promised in your case, hey, sign up for my daily newsletter. What happens after that? Well, the way I do it is thinking of it in, in three kinds. There's three kinds of emails. There's your welcome autoresponder. That's the email or emails that people get when they sign up. You've got your regular emails, which is what you write ongoing. It could be a daily tip like me. It could be a weekly newsletter that you send, whatever. And the third category is your sales campaign. That's when you're launching a product or a service or you're doing a sale or you might need to drum up some extra business. So there's really those three areas. And so obviously the first one, like you said, is your welcome. And how do you welcome people? And for me, what makes a good welcome email is something that really grabs people's attention and makes them think, I want to hear more from this person. They know what they're talking about. 
the best way to do that, there, there's a few tips. The first one is to over everything else, you need to be you. Your personality has to come through from the moment someone signs up. If you are a freelance designer and maybe you have a little lead magnet on 10 mistakes you're making in your website design and your first email after that is like, hey, I am Elisha. I'm so happy to have you on. I'm going to be sharing all these cool design tips. There is nothing really in that that's different from what anyone else is doing. And so as a reader, I'm like, oh, well, well, why do I care? You need to load your personality into this email, especially the first email that people get. And the other thing I would say is that you want to do what no one else in your industry is doing. One thing that could be is just doing a welcome email at all. For example, in many industries, if you are doing gardening as a side hustle, not many gardeners do email marketing at all. So if you just have a basic email that's like, thank you so much for signing up for my gardening tips. My name is Darren, and I just want to tell you about my story. And you tell a little story about how you've been gardening in your family for, you know, three generations. And in your town, you have the, the nicest gardens, and you tell this lovely story, something that's really personal. And people think, wow, this is a real person. I like this guy. That will work because no other gardeners do that. But for me as a copywriter, if I did that, every copywriter has a funnel that they do like that. And so I have to play a really different game. So there's not really a one-size-fits-all answer to this. You have to look at what other people in your niche are doing and do something different. So those, those are two things I would do if I were doing a welcome email. It's not so much a, here's a template, because if you do that, everyone will do it, and suddenly your welcome email sucks. Yeah, kind of like any sort of SEO outreach email. It's like, I, I know you just took so-and-so's course, and this is the template they told you to send, and oh, it doesn't work. Exactly. I could give you a, like a couple of quick tips. Is like using someone's name works really well. It might sound so cliche, but it really does. It, in all my experience with clients and my own stuff, using people's names in a subject line, using them well, not like not like a big bank. It's like Daniel, our savers are now paying zero point two five percent more interest from some big bank. It's like oh, corporate. But I have one of the second emails in my welcome funnel. I think I just changed it just after you signed up, Nick. But it says, like, Nick gets humiliated by cruel copywriting teacher. It's like some weird headline that's written about you. And people love that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely opening this. Like, what's this about? Exactly. So using someone's name is really cool. There was one that I was subscribed to. I want to say it was Rover.com, which was like the it's Airbnb for dogs, like pet sitting service. And they had me punch in my dog's name when I created the account. And so a lot of their email subject lines were like, Mochi is bored. And you're like, how did they know? And, <laughs> and so we're going to, so they do that. So it's, it's this balance between collecting more information up front in exchange for more relatability, more, more personalization capability down the road. If you're asking for first name, last name, phone number, mother's maiden name, mailing address, it's like your form fills your conversion rate is going to go way down. But if it's just, hey, first name, email, I mean, that's what I've done for years. So that seems to work pretty well or be a nice balance there. Definitely. And I, I found that just, just with a first name, you can do really amazing stuff for people. You don't really need to know anything else. The bonus is if you are a side hustle that kind of gets clients in person, you're probably getting more information about people from other sources anyway. That's not for everyone, but some people will. And just about every email service provider will allow you the capability to kind of do these mail merge 
custom fields where you could say, hey, insert the person's first name wherever you want. Yeah. So one, one other thing that I will be doing in welcome emails is to try and establish who you are, what you stand for, and sort of a set of characters that you're going to talk about. This is sort of leading, Nick, into that second category of email that I talk about, which is the regular emails that you do after you welcome people. One thing that I do is always tell stories about things that are going on in my life. And this is something I learned. I worked with Australia's best-selling author for several years. And one of the coolest things he taught me was this eight-word lesson. I wrote it down on my whiteboard the moment he said it because I was like, that is gold. He said, make characters of the people in your life. And I realized he'd been doing that in his emails for years. You know his wife's name, his kids' names, some of his friends, like places he goes, because they're all represented as characters, almost caricatures of themselves sometimes. And it's something I've applied. I will always bring up my wife. I will bring up my two kids. I will bring up my best friend or the guy, my marketing friend. And I will constantly bring these characters in. And what it does, it's the same effect as a soap opera, that you get to know characters over time and people like you. And a lot of people think, well, I don't really want to talk about personal stuff in my emails, but that's what people really relate to. It's got to sound like an email coming from a friend. And so in the welcome sequence, I try and introduce those characters. So in the first few emails, you get to know who my wife is, you get to know who my kids are, and I tell stories that kind of let you know what my personality is like. And of course, I'm doing this all in the context of I'm sending copywriting tips, which is my niche. So if you're a if you're a freelance something else, you send tips about what you're doing, but you always mix it in with personality and characters from your life. Okay. And you have not gotten the feedback that it's like, just get to the point already. Like, I don't care. I don't watch your life story. I just want what whatever it is you're selling or whatever the thing that I opted in for. That's always something that has, I don't know, like that's kind of tripped me up a little bit. Like uh, to what extent do you put the story in or is it just seen as filler? I don't think people see it as filler because you it's something that is branding you. People nowadays, they really want voices and opinions that they can listen to. It's, it's why you have talk show hosts like uh, I think in the US you have Tucker Carlson. I've heard his name. I only know the Australian people, my apologies. And you have people who tune into them every day just to see what they're going to say because people love hearing other people's opinions and stories. And a lot of people have this fear that if I, if I talk about, so today what happened with my kids was a nightmare, they think no one's going to care about that. But if you can work on telling it as an interesting story, and it's true, there is a boring way to tell stories. You don't want to do that. But if you can work on telling an interesting story, and I do this in so many of my emails, people think it's hilarious. I just sent one out last night, which was a story of a time when I was at an airport and a girl who thought my name was Andrew, she'd been with me at university, she thought my name was Andrew, and she came up to me, and I hadn't seen her in three years, and I had to pretend I was Andrew again, while my passport's in my hand, and we're heading towards a ticket check line where they're going to call out my name. And I had to desperately pretend my name was still Andrew. <laughs> and you'd say, what has that got to do with copywriting? It's got nothing to do with copywriting. But people love it, okay? I use the story as a lead for a copywriting lesson, and I'm getting emails back saying, this was so hilarious. I love it. You would be surprised how much people enjoy it when you start being yourself. Because again, remember the principle is to do what no one else is doing. And a lot of people in your niche probably are not telling them, are telling their readers who they are. But people want to deal with a face. People want to deal with a character. 
they want to deal with someone they know. And by putting your personal stories in, you can do that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Show some personality, establish who you are, and not necessarily picking a fight, but do the thing that the other people in your space are not doing. Exactly. When it comes to picking a fight, I think that's always a good idea, not with your competition necessarily, but you've got to have something to, to rail against. And maybe if you're in an industry where everyone screws over the customers, be the guy or girl who's fighting for your customer. Who's like, I'm so sick of gardeners who rock up and they like, well, I don't know, I'm not a gardener. Maybe you do like electrical contracting. I'm sick of all of the other electrical contractors who give us a bad name. They come to your house, they don't sweep up after themselves. They drag their dirty boots across your carpet and you tell stories about, oh, I had this friend and he hired this contractor. And oh my gosh, you would not believe it. The guy rocked up 20 minutes late. He was in like a pair of flip-flops and a dirty t-shirt. And then he walks in and just works, works mud all over her carpet. And you tell them the story and your readers will be like, yes, yes, that's happened to me. That's happened to me. Oh my gosh. And you are rallying against that enemy on behalf of your customers and they will love you for it. So picking a fight can be a really cool way to get a lot of engagement and have people like you in that regard. Okay, okay. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. You got me thinking of some different stories and stuff that I that I can work in on some of my own stuff. Is there a sweet spot that you found for this initial onboarding or welcome sequence in terms of either the length? What I actually do, because I send an email every day, it's really easy. I have just taken the ones that I like best that get the best response 
And I lined them all up. And I think there's like 17 in there at the moment. And honestly, if you are putting your best ones at the front, I don't think people are ever going to have a problem. Because to me, it's just guaranteeing that the first 17 emails someone gets from me are really, really good ones. And so if you say, like, can it be too long? I would say, well, it can't be too long. It can only be too boring. If you get boring, then stop it and start sending your fresh stuff. But if you've got some really cool emails, just think, is this better than the email I send out every week? And probably every week you're not sending out the best thing you've ever written, which is why you have an autoresponder, right? Because you want people to come in on the right foot. But if you have five emails that are really good, do five. If you have 17, do 17. It's just about what's really interesting for people. And you like the cadence of every day. Well, this is a contention I have as a copywriter, is that the more you email your list, the better. And that's a really controversial view, because if you ask almost anyone, would you love to hear from a company every day? Nine out of 10 people will say, heck no. But think about it. You see ads, if you're watching Netflix, right, you probably... Oh, I don't use Netflix, but some, some service, you probably see the same ad from a company like 10 times in a day. If you listen to Spotify, you're hearing these ads like 50 times in a session. People deal with advertising a lot better than you think. And the thing is, most companies really suck at marketing. And if you can be the fun person who's always got a story, who's got a funny opinion, who's always fighting on your behalf, who's got a cool tip, why would there be a limit to how much people want to hear from you. If you're really making their life better every time you email them, if you've got something cool for them, something that makes them feel good, something that stands out in the sea of boring stuff in their inbox, people will devour it every day. And I found that I've got a huge readership who reads every single email because I send interesting emails. But you don't, you don't have to do it. But I'm just saying that there is no, there's no upper limit on that. If you want to email as much as every day, go ahead. Okay. Like I, tend not to email every day, even in the even in the early days of somebody onboarding. But I have seen some numbers to say, of course, your interest and engagement and open rates are going to be highest immediately after somebody opts in. So if you could send one, maybe two, maybe even three messages on that first day, of course, you're going to have better open rates than if you wait to send that third message till a week later. And maybe this person forgot what they originally signed up for, they forgot who you are. So if you can front load that campaign in some way, I think that probably does make sense. Now, what happens after these 17 messages that are kind of preloaded to go out one a day? And now somebody falls into kind of your regular newsletter sequence or here's how you have that structured? Well, okay. So the, the fact that I do my 17 day after day is because my regular emails every day. I write an email every single day. I love it. And my list loves it. And so that works for me. Now, you might do a weekly thing and so after your uh, onboarding sequence ends, you're going to go to maybe weekly tips. There is no real pressure to how much you do it because I, as an email marketer, as a copywriter, find it really easy to write an email, but maybe you hate it, <laughs> in which case you just want to do it once a week. I wouldn't want to do it less than once a week, to be honest, because the thing is, Nick, for me, my competition are mailing these people every single day. Maybe not the same people, but every single day, my customers get messages from other brands that are trying to bond them to other brands. So to me, I want to, I'm kind of selfish. I'm a marketer. I want that first spot in people's heart. I want them to like me more than anyone else. And if you're running a side hustle, that's what you want. If you want to grow this side hustle, if you want to really take it to be more than a side hustle and you want to leave side hustle nation, I'm sorry, Nick, and go to full-time nation, 
then you really want these you want these people to love your brand. And the way you do that is to show up a lot and to be a friendly, familiar face who always has something that they like to hear from. Talk to me about coming up with that content because for me, Thursday mornings are known in our house as the time when Nick spends way too long trying to come up with a newsletter. And usually <laughs> and usually it's the subject line. Once I have the hook, once I have the subject line, the email writes itself. But it's like, that could take an hour. And it's like, sometimes I'm just banging my head against the wall. But you're coming up with this stuff every day. Right. So let me ask you a question, Nick. When, when do you start thinking of what's going to be in your email? Usually the night before. Right. If you're doing weekly, you've got seven days to think of the next email, right? Sure. So here's what I do. I always have my phone around with my notes app. It is the most used app on my phone because whenever anything interesting happens, whenever any idea happens, I go in that folder. I got a folder called emails and I write it down. I'm a copywriter, right? So I like talking about marketing and advertising. But if I go to the store and I see an ad on a billboard and I think the ad sucks, I'll write the ad down and I might talk about it in an email. I was at KFC the other night in the drive-thru and my kid is grilling me. Why are there so many other cars in the drive-thru? Why are they here? Why do they like KFC? And I'm like, well, this is really driving me nuts, but it's going to make a funny email. So I write that down. And that way, unlike you, when you sit down and you're like, uh, well, I've been thinking about this for about an hour. I have been thinking about it for 24 hours and I have five ideas every time I sit down at least. So if you just look around at what's going on in your life and think, how could I turn that into a topic for an email? How could that be interesting to my list? You will start seeing these stories all around you. All right. I'm going to have to practice this from all the crazy stuff that the kids say and do. And we'll see if that dude, starts. if you've got kids, if you've got kids, you have the uh, best source of stories ever because more, like half of my story ideas come from dumb or annoying or funny or sweet things that my kids do. And a lot of people say like, I've heard copywriters say, if you want to tell more interesting stories, you've got to live a more interesting life. Go out, meet people. Well, the honest truth is I am a dad. I spend pretty much seven out of seven days at my house eating dinner with my kids. It's like there ain't much action in my life. But I tell stories about the time that my son dropped a piece of meat on the floor and my daughter, baby daughter, picks it up and like starts eating it. And they, he starts screaming and I take it out of her mouth and she starts screaming. And it's like just a nightmare. And it's just, you know, this mundane parent moment that Nick, you probably have that happens five times a day to you, something like that with your kids. But you'd never think to tell a story. But if you tell it in an email, people are like, oh my gosh, that's so relatable. And let's say, let's just say we use that example. Okay. You could spin that so many ways. That's what was coming up next. It's like, so how do you turn that around and say, All right, let's, let's do that. Let's do that on the fly. Let's say we're doing side hustle nation and your kids did that. One example, just totally one example is, and just like my son, like he stole that piece of meat back from my daughter, your competition are coming to steal, steal your business if you aren't mailing every day. Okay. Okay. That's okay. one idea. Another one could be like, and then I thought of this crazy idea as a side hustle. This is why babysitting could be such a great side hustle because think of the anguish that parents go through every day with screaming kids like this. If you know how to solve the situation, I would pay you a million bucks right now. And that's really funny. It's like the anguish of a parent, like I would pay you a million bucks to stop my kids screaming right now. There's another angle that you could take. So you could spin things like this so many different ways. 
and you just attach whatever you're going to pitch or talk about at the end of the story. All right. I'm going to start paying more attention. My oldest is a natural born salesman. At some point, the switch flipped from questions like, Daddy, will you read me a book? To, Daddy, how many books do you want to read me? I was like, I like that. That's very subtle. That's very subtle, but a way to assume the clothes. Dude, that, that's an email. What you are saying right now would be a hilarious email, right? And then you take that and you could spin that into, that's why like sales skills are so important. My kid learned it early, but you can learn it at any age. I've got a course on that. Or you could say something like, I'm glad I, I'm modeling, modeling good habits. In fact, I prepared a reading list of the top five books I've been reading. Check it out here right? There's a million things you could do. And you have to look at what content or course or whatever you're going to give people. But then you just think, how could I link them? And you spend a few minutes, you get better at it. Like I do this every single day. So it's pretty easy for me when I come up with a story to just link it. But that was a hilarious story. So it'd make a great email. So that's kind of the structure that your messages take is story, and then kind of like little pivot transition point to back to copywriting or back to the topic at hand. And then say, call to action at the end like hey if you that's exactly it oh man and you actually uh, stole one of my bullet points right from me just there you figured it out you deconstructed my code because <laughs> that's how i write every email it's three parts i'll have something interesting like a fun story or anecdote or something then i'll have something to teach which is how i'll spin it back to a copywriting lesson and then i have something to sell and i'll be like if you want me to write your copy click here to join my waitlist, or I have training, you can click here, or you know you can buy this course. And that three-part structure I use almost every single day. Okay, so that was story plus tip plus... Something interesting, something to teach, something to sell. There is actually another tip that I'll give you. And if you're struggling even with that, a really easy way is to just get your readers to write emails for you. And what I mean by that is whenever anyone asks you a question, save it. And if you wake up one day and you don't have anything to say, you dig through your file of questions. These are questions that people in your market are asking you because they trust you and want to know the answer. And you can bet that if one person has it, 50 people have it. And you just take their email. You say, hey, the other day, I got this crazy question from a Side Hustle Nation reader, Betty. Here's what Betty said. You just paste her question. You don't have to edit it unless you want to. And you say, well, Betty, here's what I think. And the reason this works, number one, it's super easy. You don't have to do anything. Like you could answer that question so easily if someone asks you because you're the expert at what you do. The second thing is the reason this works is because it's based on the psychology of talk show radio or letters to the editor or comment sections under news articles. Humans are hardwired to want to know what all the other humans are saying. What's the gossip? down at the market square. What are people talking about? That is why we love these things. That's why you read the comments section on a news article for longer than you read the article. That's why you listen to talkback radio because you want to know what are other people saying and what does my expert have to say on that? Which is why you then, Nick, answer the question that Betty asked you. And so people are getting, they get to read Betty's private mail and then they get to read Nick the Guru's answer. And they love that. And that is super easy content. And you don't even have to have an actual email. You could just say, a question people always ask me when they come up to me is X. And I would put it in quote marks so it looks like something people are saying. But you probably know the top 10 questions that people ask you by heart. Okay. And that would be a way to anonymize it in case Betty is not happy with you. Oh, yeah. And change Betty's name. Yeah. Sure, sure. Or just say from a reader. But it's extra powerful 
when you can tell it's a real email, you know, when there's like maybe spelling mistakes or little personal details, obviously that don't identify her, but she's like, I have a two-year-old daughter who blah, blah. So you anonymize her name, but you keep the email intact. People really love seeing other people's mail in that regard. Yeah, this is something that I've historically done in podcast format. So questions that do come in that I think are interesting, compelling, like I will tag those in Gmail as questions or I'll label them as questions. And then once every few months, I'll, I'll do a 20 questions with Nick segment on the show or do a full actually dedicated show for it, but have never, never used this specific strategy of turning it around and then turning that into an email to everybody. Actually, I'm curious, like, are you creating any content outside of this email newsletter? Like, instead of answering that question over email, would you answer that question in a blog post, a YouTube video, a podcast, something like that? Well, personally for me, no, because email is my channel. It's I'm more comfortable writing. I don't really want to do videos or a podcast. It takes its own skill set. However, there is no reason this can't work for other content. So everything we're talking about for email applies to other media. However, the reason I like email so much is that you own it, right? If you do something to upset Google or Facebook or whatever, they can pull, they can derank your YouTube channel. They can stop your Facebook posts from showing whatever. I mean, a podcast or email, you're in control of that, right? So I prefer to stick to media that I can control. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe there's a hybrid uh, option for me down the road. This is this is interesting stuff. All right, so we have covered the welcome email or the welcome sequence. We've covered how to write the ongoing messages that go out. What happens for sales-specific emails? Like, hey, I have a, maybe it's a limited time offer or I'm an e-commerce brand or whatever. I got something to sell. Do those have to be different in some way? Well, the, the first thing I'd say to that is, I actually sell in every single email. And the reason I do that is the same reason that you walk into a supermarket. In Australia, it's Woolworths, but I don't know what your super, what's your local supermarket called, Nick? Trader Joe's and Costco for us. Trader Joe's, okay. Trader Joe's. Let's say you walk into Trader Joe's, you go in, you pick up a loaf of bread, you're like, mmm, this is really good bread. I want this bread. And then you look down and it says bread, $1.50. Do you stand there and turn up your nose and go, oh my gosh. Trader Joe's, I'm so disappointed in you for selling to me. I thought you were better than that. It's like, no, nobody does that. It's a store. You go in to buy stuff, right? And the reason that works is because there's this expectation that you go there to buy stuff. I always encourage people to set that expectation for your brand. You don't have to be a dirty salesman. It just means you're always reminding people that you're a service provider, like a hairdresser. You don't go to the hairdresser and say, hey, could you just do this one for free? No, I'm a business and I do a good service for you. Same thing. So that's why I sell in every email. However, there are times, I don't push that sale very hard, but there are times when you do want to push sale hard. Maybe you've got a new product. Maybe you're trying to drum up some business in a slow patch. And there's there's two things which you can do, I think, that just tweak your normal email. The first thing is you can add a discount or a temporary incentive, right? If you have services that, you know, normally cost a hundred bucks for a session, you offer it for 80. Or if your course is normally $500, you could do a $300 sale or you have a limited time bonus. And the second thing you do is tie it to a deadline. And those two things alone can turn your regular emails. If you're doing them the way that I'm talking about, they turn them into sales emails. And you may be up the frequency a bit. Maybe you do once a day instead of once a week. And you do five days, Monday to Friday, you have a little sale. Keep the fun style. 
still give cool tips, still tell fun stories, just up the frequency, add an incentive, and add a deadline. And that's it, and it becomes a sale. So many people want to sell you these fancy funnel courses like, here's the opener email, and then here's the free taster email, and then we pull back and give a bit of value, and then on day four, you send an AM and a PM resolving the open loop, and it's like, oh my gosh. Oh, by the way, pay me $1,000 and I'll sell you this system too. It's like, you don't need any of that. Keep doing what you're doing, add a deadline, add a temporary discount, and maybe up the frequency. That's it. That's what I do, and it works gangbusters. I did a sale with a client last year for this, and we did millions of dollars in sales just from that kind of sale. You don't need to be any more complex. You don't want to know how many brain cells I expended last year trying to come up with this launch campaign for this course. <laughs> That I did. And it was like, I was happy with the ultimate campaign that I put together. The results were kind of lackluster, but it was just the mental bandwidth of, because I was going through, you know, reading all these case studies. Here's the product launch formula. Here's the story brand framework. Here's the expert secrets. Yeah. And oh, man. those were all helpful. And I was, you know, trying to take what I like best about each of those and kind of make my own thing. But it wasn't easy to do. And I guess once it's written, is you can use it over and over again. But like, are you using any of these well-known launch frameworks or are you just kind of going off the cuff? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that when you're using someone else's thing, that means so are a lot of other people, right? And the first person to create their system, maybe it is original and new. But when everyone's bought it, it's like, oh, you're using so-and-so's model, like you mentioned earlier, Nick. Now, if you're in the internet marketing space, people might recognize it, but outside of that, are people really going to know what you're doing? It, it's true. Probably probably not. And I, I may have a bias because I do work with uh, a lot of bigger clients who you know, are kind of more sophisticated with this kind of thing. Maybe if you're just the average person, then sure, buying that system works. But there's another reason, Nick, that I don't like things like that. And that is, it, it blows my mind that all these major gurus overlook this is that most people don't read every email. Even really engaged lists, getting like 50% open rate is awesome. So half your list aren't even reading every email, right? So if you have a funnel that relies on what you said the day before to build your case, day one, only 50% of people are following. Day two, that's maybe 40 or 30%. Like all this fancy complex stuff you're doing is going to a fraction of your list. Whereas if you are just approaching it as normal and adding some incentives, adding some deadlines, it doesn't matter which email they read. All you're trying to do is remind them that there's a deadline because the deadline is the most important part in any sale. Forget all the other fancy stuff, all the other techniques and persuasion hacks and whatever. A deadline is what makes people act. All you need to do is have a deadline and remind people of the deadline. And you can save yourself a lot of money on expensive courses if you follow that. Fair enough. For deadlines on products that realistically are evergreen, is it just, hey, the, the bonuses are going away or some other element to yes, it? Yes, absolutely. And this is a super common problem, Nick. But that's why you use discounts or limited time bonuses, right? I think a discount, there's a lot of people who are really down on discounts. In my mind, that's why you, you price expensive. So you have fat to cut. And then it's gravy if you sell it other times. But that may be for a model where you want to get a lot of your business from sales. If you don't want to do that, then you offer limited time bonuses. And you don't have to come up with something. You can offer an hour of consultation 
or a really, a really simple one is invitation to a special Q&A or something, something that you just come up with that's only available for a certain time. And that's how you do it for an evergreen course, really. All right, I can do that. I like that better than the discounting or the false scarcity of like the doors are closing. It's like, it's a- <laughs> Absolutely. One other thing you can do, Nick, and this is a very powerful thing. If I were, if I were consulting with you, if this weren't a podcast and you were paying me a lot of money, I would say to you, first, have a flagship product. I'd say have one and, and point people to it. And the second thing I'd say is a really powerful technique is to raise your price, but tell people the price is going up permanently. And you do a week-long campaign, you say, at the end of this week, I'm permanently raising the price from $199 to $299. It's worth it. I have had so many people tell me this course has changed their life, and I should be charging $499. And maybe one day I will. But at the end of this week, it's gone up to $299, and it's staying there. If you want in, here's the link. And you remind people every day with a fun story or whatever, those sales go gangbusters, and you permanently raise your revenue. It is win-win all round. I'd tell you that tip if you were paying me a lot of money, and I've done that for some really big businesses and made millions of dollars. Price is a really elastic thing, right? And most people aren't charging enough for what they sell. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not the first person to tell me that. So. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Simple sales process. Don't, don't overthink it like I did. Daniel, really appreciate you joining me persuasivepage.com. Check him out. You can sign up for his list over there and see some real life examples of what he sends, what he's been talking about in this episode. I recommend checking that out. Again, persuasivepage.com. If you stick around after Daniel's number one tip, we're going to do a little bonus session after the outro here on how to become a copywriter, how Daniel went from having zero experience in this space to getting paying gigs right away up to $200 an hour and more. So stick around for that. But Daniel, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Yeah, I would say in your marketing, your personality is like cowbell. You need to add more. I love it. <laughs> Don't fear the reaper. <laughs> That's right. More cowbell. Well, Daniel, uh, once again, really appreciate you joining me. Stick around for the bonus session right after this, and I'll catch up with you soon. Let's talk about getting started as a copywriter. This is fascinating to me. Upwork seems like a very crowded place in, in 2020 or even, even five years ago. It was considered a really crowded marketplace. So curious how you came in here with no paid experience in this niche, in this industry. I mean, first of all, like what even inspired you to raise your hand and say, yes, I am a copywriter? So it's really funny. In 2015, you may have heard of Ramit Sethi from I Will Teach You to Be Rich, best-selling author over there in the US. He had a contest, a copywriting contest, because he was launching a new course on copywriting back then. And the contest was you had to write a sales letter to persuade people to like attend his webinar. I had never even heard the word copy, like in the context of it means words. I was like, it's a copy of a document. And I did not know what a copywriter was. Never heard of that. But I was like, oh, I like Ramit. I'd like to try. So I wrote this crappy little sales letter. I posted it on Facebook as a note. It was called How I Got My Wife to Let Me Spend $200 on One Ebook. It was not my best work, but that won. That won the contest. And so I got to speak to Ramit for half an hour and talk copy. And I'm literally, I get in, Ramit is like a legend to me at that time. I'm like, oh, hi, Ramit. 
And he's like, so what questions do you have about copy? I was like, I don't know anything about copy, <laughs> but that was fun. Could I do it as a job? And he was like, oh, okay. And so he actually, we just talked about, you know, he's like, here's some good books to learn from and so on. But after that, I went on Upwork because I was looking into this whole copywriter thing and I read a couple of books and I was like, oh, this is cool. And I went on Upwork and what I did to actually start getting jobs from the first week was this cool little strategy where I would apply for a job. And my goal was I am going to out-research every other person applying for this job. So I would look for any clue I could find in the job description about who these people were. They might mention their company name. I might Google their name and then look at their LinkedIn. I find out their company. I'd find out what they did. And then I would write a custom portfolio profile piece based on what they were asking for. So it looked like I had done exactly the kind of job they were after. I'll give you an example. The first job I ever got within a few days of going on Upwork was for beard oils. Now, Nick, you have a handsome looking beard. When we were on in the green room before, like you had a really fine beard you were sprouting. As you can see from me, I cannot grow more than like three hairs on my face. So beard oil for me as a 22-year-old, as I was, was the last thing on my mind. But I found out that this company was selling beard oils and they wanted some descriptions. So I went and like Google, well, what do beard oil ads look like? And it was that whole masculine image of rough men and these cool myths and so on. And I wrote this fictional ad for a fictional beard oil and I put it in a, a document and sent it to them. I was like, hey, here's a piece from my portfolio on beard oils. And the dude replied to me, he's like, oh my gosh, this is like perfect. No one sent us anything close to that. And of course, who would? Who would have done a job for beard oil, right? <laughs> so you discern what you can from the post, the job posting, if, if they say beard oil, or you can kind of like dig a little bit deeper to say like, oh, what is this company? What do they do? And then you craft this custom piece and say, oh, as luck would have it, this is from my portfolio. Yeah. And say, so this is from my portfolio. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, and that is perfectly true because I did write it. It's not like I plagiarized it. I came up with it, right? But yeah, as luck would have it, I have one of those. And nine times out of 10, the client will like fall over themselves in excitement. If you're good, right? And you don't have to be because no one else is sending them that. So if they're asking for a blog, they want a blog post on the 10 hottest spots to eat in New York. Maybe you happen to have a blog post that you wrote on the five hottest spots to eat in Los Angeles, which t takes you less time. But it's like, oh man, that looks really good. Like, and that's exactly what I want. And so by doing that, I was able to land jobs within my first week, whereas other people struggle a lot at this. Yeah, because you've, no, you've got no reviews, you've got no nothing, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But all the client cares about, all the client cares about ever is, can you do my job and do it well? That's all they care about. They don't care about your reviews. That's the mistake so many people make. They have these profiles with all this information about their qualifications, how good they are. But clients are like, I don't care, man. I just want to know if you can do my job. And so I was able to beat all these more experienced copywriters. The next step to that plan was every time I got a job, I did the best possible job. I was like, I am going to blow you away. They asked for just nine beard oil ads. I wrote them nine ads, and then I gave them a keyword analysis, which I did. 
of like, what are people searching for for beard oils? Here's how I'd use this in your marketing. I gave them a little two-page marketing plan. I gave them taglines, bonus taglines for each of the beard oils. And I packaged it all up in this document and gave it to them. And the guy nearly fainted. He said, I am speechless. I've never seen someone do work this good. He paid me a bonus and he wrote me the best review like ever. And that was for my first job. And I just took that strategy and I kept doing it. And I kept raising my rates along the way. Every time I got a couple good jobs, I'd be like, okay, I've proven that this rate works. I'm going to bump it up 20 bucks an hour. And by doing that, within a year, I was charging $200 an hour. I was 100% top rated. I was probably the most highest earning writer on the site. And to this day, I'm still the most ripped off copywriter because you can search. You could search by like who's earning the most. And so people would take the profile that I wrote for myself And if you search the first line from my current profile, it still shows up in a bunch of profiles. So they're just copying me. And that was just a testament to how well that worked. Anyone can do that, I think, on somewhere like Upwork. Yeah, that's interesting. I never would have, never would have crossed my mind. Of course, you want to personalize, you know, your cover letter and your introduction stuff, but I hadn't heard of anybody going to, to that length to really say like, no, look, I am your go-to person for, for this gig. Exactly. And and we should add, this is all on the side from the electrical engineering gig at this point. Right. So while this is happening, I am I was an electrical engineer, yeah. And I actually worked on an offshore oil rig, a, a gas plant. And so I was at 28 days in a row working from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's when the workday would start and finish, which means I had to be on a bus at like, you know, 4.50 a.m. from the camp. And I get back to the camp at 5.30 p.m. And so... That is going on for 28 days. So I am in my office. I would be working on these jobs in my lunch break while I'm eating my snack. When I get home, I would be working on copy. It was exhausting. That was definitely the side hustle part of my life. It was full on, but it was something that I really enjoyed. And I think, Nick, when you are doing something you enjoy as your hustle, like you're willing to grind it for a little while and try and build something up. Was this 100% self-taught? Did you read books on copywriting? You're just like, I, I feel like I got a knack for this stuff. Ramit says my, my stuff was good, so I'm going to go for it. I read a lot of books. So a couple of my favorite books for copywriting, The Brain Audit by Sean D'Souza and Kick-Ass Copywriting Secrets of a Marketing Rebel by John Carlton. Those two books are two of my favorites for copywriting, and they really taught me a lot. And I was reading heavily at that time because I knew there were people with a lot more experience than me. And the only way I was going to catch them, I didn't have time for lots of fancy, expensive courses. So I just read a lot of books. And you can do so much learning from just reading books, especially in copywriting. Is Upwork still a part of the client acquisition today? Or is it kind of a transition to word of mouth? Yeah, what happened was I ended up getting approached by the guy he wasn't at the time. He's currently Australia's best-selling author. He approached me, he actually messaged me on Facebook a year or so into that gig, and he was like, I need your help with some copy. And I ended up writing, the first job he brought me on for was the launch funnel for what would be the best-selling nonfiction book in Australian history after that. And we worked together for four years after that, did another bestseller to help launch that. It was an amazing experience. So I ended up working with him and a few other like really high-flying clients in Australia and so Upwork, I only did a few, few gigs on that after that. I definitely would have kept going. However, what you'll find is that a lot of people, when they're starting out, 
as a copywriter, the confidence is an issue as much as anything. And once you realize that you are really good and that comes across in your marketing, that, that you have a skill that people will pay for, you can sort of branch out on your own and start attracting people. People are really attracted to that confidence. And so what I've been doing recently is, you know, doing my own emails. And I'd recommend this to any copywriter. Start writing your own stuff. That's a mistake that I made, not building my own brand earlier. I worked with clients, but if you just rely on client work, you're never going to build anything. And so I wish I'd done that earlier. But what I do now is I do my regular email and I build my list. And that is building my own thing. It's also giving me a lot of practice writing something every day. And what I do in every email, you may have seen, Nick, is I end it, the sale, the thing that I sell is a link to a wait list where clients can get on if they want to register to wait to work with me. And there's a lot of power in that because it shows that you're an in-demand person. It takes the neediness off you because you have this list of people who are waiting to work with you. So it's like, anytime I want a gig, I can send an email to that list. And I sort of got like a my own personal pool of clients who are waiting to work with me, who are pre-sold on me. And that flips the client game on its head. Okay, so they click the link that says join the wait list and that tags them in your email system to say, okay. Exactly. Okay. And the truth is I'm so busy building my own business and stuff that I don't really have a lot of time for these clients. But that is in itself a really confidence-boosting thing. And the funny thing about copywriting or any freelancing is that the more confident you are, the more it comes across to clients and the more they want you. So the less needy you can be, it's a virtuous cycle. It makes you even less needy because more clients chase you and then you need them even less because you're like, I have my pick of clients. And so what I would advise newer copywriters is to really have exude that confidence, even if you don't feel it. Your clients don't want to buy from someone who doesn't believe in themselves. And that was something I did from early on was to project this idea that I was really good at what I did. And, you know, I, I was decent. I'd won a contest, whatever. But you don't have to have. You just need people to trust that you can do the job. They don't want you to doubt yourself. If they, like, push back on your prices, flick them off. You can't cave in because then they'll have no respect for you. So you just got to do things that show that you value yourself and it will really come across to clients. I like it. Any other advice for aspiring copywriters? I would really recommend that every copywriter, like I said, starts building their own thing as soon as possible. I would recommend having a look at my website. I actually don't have any products right now, so I, I'm not even saying that. Like I got something to sell you, but just have a look at the way I write emails because putting your personality into your marketing, like I said with my tip to you, is one of the strongest things you can do. And to start building your own brand as a copywriter, when people think of Daniel Thrussell, they know who he is, that's one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself with your own marketing as well. Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. In fact, it was a fan of yours who sent me a note and was like, Nick, this guy is fantastic. His writing is amazing. You got to have him on. I was like, okay, you know, that, that gets my attention. That breaks through the clutter of all the other pitches that I get. And sure enough, this, is, this has been a really cool chat. So Daniel, awesome to connect with you. Once again, persuasivepage.com. Check him out over there and we'll catch up with you soon. Once again, if you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash Daniel, you'll find links to all the resources mentioned, including those copywriting books. And since we're talking about email, this is probably a good time as any to plug ActiveCampaign, which is the email service provider I've been using for the last several years. Super powerful. It's a really important tool in my business. And it's also really affordable. When you're just getting started, it's like $9 a month. 
I've got a full review and a demo video of what it looks like inside my account at sidehustlenation.com slash active campaign dash review. Of course, I'll link that up for you in the show notes for this one too. And if you're ready to start a free trial, you can do so through my affiliate link, which is sidehustlenation.com slash active campaign, all one word. But that is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're diving into 10 unconventional money rules to live by. It's a fun chat with a friend of mine and a fellow personal finance nerd. I'll see you then. Hustle on.